0: And that is the mass exodus. Good morning. Um, Before, Ronnie, come on up. Before uh, I even get started... Uh, Ronnie wanted to say something to the church this morning, and uh, Larry, are is the yellow mic on? You don't wear. I'm gonna give it to you anyway. Where'd that start? It's. We got to be smarter than this. There we go. love you Ronnie, love you brother, amen, amen, as you guys know last week uh, I had shared with you all about uh, Ronnie's daughter's house burning down, uh, losing all of her contents, uh, unable to save, uh, uh, she suffered several burns, her husband did as well and uh, their their dog was unable to get out and uh, you know and their kids their kids are safe, but uh just catastrophic loss and so last Sunday morning, I just kind of dropped that on you guys, right you know it wasn't like uh, we could do a lot of planning, you know it happened Saturday, and so I just laid it before you guys, and whatever it was that God was going to do on behalf of them that morning, God did uh, through the body and 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 I say this to you not to put a A dollar amount on the mercy and the goodness of God but just to recognize the generosity uh, of the body uh, last Sunday uh, in that brief moment uh, we took up a blessing offering you guys know how that works Uh, in excess of thirty two hundred dollars which which I am so so proud of you guys to give in in a spontaneous manner not out of compulsion but out of the leading of the spirit to love on our brother, you know what I mean, Kellen, and, and to love on his family. And uh, and I'm going I'm to be honest with you, the, the giving hadn't stopped. I had people come up to me this morning and they said to me, I've, I, I was here last week, I didn't have it at that moment, but uh, I, I want to give something. And uh, so I, I'm standing and I'm talking to this uh, gentleman and so he hands me the money and he's standing right in front of Ronnie, he just don't realize it, so he hands it to me and I hand it to Ronnie. And so Uh, God's goodness and God's generosity continues to be expressed uh, into the life of this family and uh, for that I I thank you guys uh, for being agents of uh, God's uh, provision and uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yes, we're in Exodus. Uh, We're chapter 14, right? Uh, uh, Kind of get us caught up where we're at. We finally made it to the banks of the Red Sea, right? Every time uh, you uh, talk about the book of Exodus, everyone's mind jumps to the Red Sea experience, right? And uh, it's taken us, this is the 24th message in 14 chapters of the book. It's taken us a long time to get out of Egypt and get to the Red Sea. But here we are. We finally made it. And uh, so um, last week, uh, to do a quick review to kind of catch up here, uh, God revealed to Moses after bringing them back, circling back around, and and they had become basically uh, uh, caught or backed up to the Red Sea, God had said to Moses what he was about to do was going to bring him glory. And, And we elaborated on the notion that the plan of God in our life always involves bringing glory to God. The purpose of God in our lives will always bring glory to God. And um, we we mentioned that briefly. And then we talked about how uh, uh, Pharaoh and and the Egyptians, once they recognized the vulnerable state that the Hebrews were in with their backs to the Red Sea, they decided at that moment that uh, they were going to pursue them. Their minds changed, and they went, and Pharaoh and the leader said, what have we done by allowing this workforce to leave our uh, our, our nation? So let's go, we're going to go, we're going to ascertain, we're going to grab hold of them, we're going to bring them back, basically was the objective. And and we mentioned the idea how uh, the enemy, you know, uh, watches you and I, uh, and waits, he waits this thing out until we're in a vulnerable state, and uh, when we're in that vulnerable state, he likes to pounce. And, uh, and, and we touched on the Jesus, remember, coming out of the desert and the enemy had tempted him. And then the scripture after Jesus rebukes him through a Bible study with the devil. You know, you know, isn't that funny? Jesus had a Bible study with the devil. That's kind of, that's an odd way of looking at it. But that's what happened. He had a Bible study with the devil. And the, de- the scripture says that the devil removed himself until a more opportune time. And we understood what the Greek meant by that. It meant a more favorable time. And and that's how the enemy is. He's waiting for that more favorable moment. And then he's he wants to inflict as much uh, discouragement, damage that he possibly can on you in your life. And and, and so the story develops. They they come after the Hebrews. Uh, the people see that the uh, Egyptians are coming and, and, and for whatever reason, because they had no place to turn, they decided to turn on Moses. Right? You Remember that? And remember one of the responses that they had made towards Moses was, were there not enough graves in Egypt? Were there not enough graves in Egypt? And then they go on and they, and they said, don't you remember what we said to you back in Egypt to leave us alone? And we talked about how sometimes the moment will flesh out dormant conditions that are resting within us that were born at another time, right? That conflict that they had with Moses had been born while God was working on the deliverance of his children out of Egypt. But that traveled with them. And so when the moment got intense, that thing that was dormant was stirred up and they lashed out and they even articulated it and said to Moses... What about back then when we told you? And the fact that you and I know that unresolved issues in our lives always travel, they always produce in moments when things get stirred up and before you know it, you're looking at a situation where someone's response is a level level 10 to a level 1 issue. And then it dawns on you that their response isn't necessarily connected to you, but it's connected to an event previously experienced in their lives. You guys know what I'm talking about. We've all had that happen. Bad day at work, your kids get that. It wasn't their fault, it was the boss's fault, right? It was an encounter that happened earlier. And that's just a small, small uh, analogy to get the point across. But you guys know when we travel with the issues of life unresolved, it's going to manifest itself in our marriage, in our jobs, in our communities, in our families. That stuff just surfaces. It just comes up. It's like that old Twinkie, the old Twinkie test. You squeeze that Twinkie and the cream just comes pouring out. That's how you and I are with unresolved issues. Man, when the pressure's applied, man, it just comes flowing out. And that's what's happening right there. No place to turn, so they turn on God's agent. And then Moses responds. And Moses responds in a manner that you and I would hope that we would respond in. And that's actually where we're going to pick up. We're going to reread those verses, and it's going to help us transition. Because by the time we get uh, uh, to verse 29, this is what verse 29 says. There's a trust in God that is found at the end of this chapter and a trust in Moses. But where we're starting, there is no trust in Moses. There's attacking of Moses and the effort of God. So something happens from that verse to that verse, and that's what you and I are going to look at. What happens that reverses this thing? And so let's let's turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 14. We're going to read this first. First two verses, and then we're just going to progress through, okay? Moses answered the people after they made these charges against him, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Lord, in Jesus' name, we are gathered in this place And we desire you to speak to us. To the married couple, speak to them as your daughter, your son. To the mother or the father, speak to them as your daughter, your son. To the son or the daughter, speak to them as your daughter or son. Speak to us individually this morning. May we respond with a heart that is in tune with you and may our lives be ever changed by every experience we have every encounter with your word we have may it shape us in some manner to be more like Jesus ultimately that's our desire to be more like Jesus so that's what we pray, Father, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and ask this. Amen. Okay, right here, right off the top of this, uh, the scripture says right here in Exodus chapter 13 and 14 Moses answered the people, Do not be afraid. Now, this is something that we all deal with, right? Fear. This is a statement that every one of us at some juncture in our life. Needs to have this spoken to us on a a, a spiritual level because every one of us will, at some point in our lives, experience an element of fear. It's it's absolutely undeniable. It will find you and it will impose itself upon you. Conditions, circumstances will present themselves to you where fear can be completely overwhelming. As a matter of fact, the enemy, and you guys know this, the enemy comes with his lies and threats to suspend us, suspend you, to suspend me from the progress of our relationship with Jesus. The enemy comes to to plant in us doubt and fear with the objective, the objective to introduce into our relationship with with Christ a level of, uh, uh, of stagnancy, if you will, wanting us to to slow down, the churning to slow down. He's wanting us to get us or wanting to get us in a position where, where growth is retarded in the sense of underdeveloped, you see. And the one thing that I know and the one thing that you know, and I've said this before, and I would say to you, get this in your mind and get this in your spirit, and that is this. We have two uh, 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 warring components in our lives all the time. And both components are elements of faith that diametrically oppose one another. Two elements of faith that diametrically oppose one another. One is our faith in God, faith in His Word, faith in what He is doing. It stands in, 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 in direct contrast to faith in the enemy and the enemy's claims because fear is actually actually expressed as faith in the charges of the enemy. When we believe the words of the enemy more so than we believe the words of God, then we have exercised an element of faith in the product of fear and it produces in us a level of captivity that will ultimately suspend us from progress. And Moses looks at the people, understanding what was taking place here. You and I, under these conditions, would likely respond in a very similar manner. And he says to them, Do not be afraid. Now, Moses goes on and he basically addresses three things in this very verse right here that shows you the inner workings of the enemy by what he says. He gives these imperative type statements, these directives, because he understands what the enemy is trying to do. Let's check these out right here. First he says, do not be afraid, right? You see it, do not be afraid. Why is that? Because the enemy wants to instill fear by undermining our confidence in God. Moses speaks on behalf of God to the children of Israel, and he says, do not be afraid, understanding what the enemy is trying to do. Why would he say not, to not be afraid if that wasn't something they were experiencing? And then he says this, stand firm. Stand firm. Because why? Because the enemy wants us to give up ground. The enemy wants us to compromise. Stand firm. Be rooted. Go deep. Deep for your faith, deep for your family, deep for your children, deep for your church. There are some things in our lives that we just can't compromise on. And he says to him, to the children of of Israel, in this moment, do not fear and stand your ground. That's what he says. Because the enemy is wanting them to move, to compromise. And then he says this. He says, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. He says this to them, basically saying to them, keep your eyes on God. Keep your... You can't see what God is doing if you're not looking at God. He, says, he literally says to them, you will see this today. You will see this. Why is he saying this? Because the enemy wants you and I to take our eyes off of the thing God is doing and cast our eyes on the pending threats of the enemy that are built on nothing more than compromised positions that have been facilitated by giving in to fear. Typically, we lose our sight of God when we have what? Compromised because we didn't trust what God was saying. You see this thing building on itself. And God is wanting you and I not to be afraid, but to have faith in Him and in His Word. He wants you and I to be fathers and and wives and, and sons and daughters of faith. Immovable, immovable people whose eyes are fixed on God and the thing God is doing in your life and in the kingdom. And then this is what he says. He says, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. <laughs> you will never see again. Now, this is kind of a funny statement. Because nowhere in the scripture does it imply that Moses knows how this thing is going to end. But there's something that he does understand that God is moving. I don't know how this is going to shake out. You may not know how things are going to shake out, but you're not responsible for knowing how it's going to shake out. You're responsible, and I'm responsible, for trusting Him who knows how things will shake out. And Moses makes this bold claim, and he says, these cats that you see, you'll never see them again. So we understand one thing that Moses knew. Somehow God was taking these jokers completely out of the equation. I don't, the pillar of fire may consume. I don't know. They may be lost in the pillar of cloud. I don't know. I've seen hell fall on Egypt. It may, I don't know. What I do know is these cats will be lost in your vision after today. You'll never see them again. So there's an element of trust and faith that Moses is exercising in this moment. In this moment. And then he says this. The Lord will fight for you. The Hebrew word for fight literally means to enter into combat. You know, a good soldier talking about hand-to-hand combat. You know, when all the weapons have ran their course, man, and it's just you and the enemy, and at that moment, man, it's, it's just hands. And that's what that word in the Hebrew actually means. It's God is going to wait. This is the first time in all the Scripture that we find God using this term in reference to God fighting for His people. And God is saying, or Moses is saying in this moment, God is about to enter into combat on your behalf. Let's get ready to rumble kind of thing. That's what he's saying. This thing's about to happen. And he says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, this isn't a physical stillness. You know this, right, guys? This isn't a physical stillness, but an internal stillness. Because each and every one of us have been in places in our life where physically, physically we are in a fixed position. And internally, our spirits, our hearts, and our minds are engaged in violent movement and motion. Some of you are sitting in this sanctuary this morning. You're as still as still can be, but internally you are so vexed that your emotions, your spirit, your heart, your mind is in such violent expressions of movement. There are things happening in your mind, in your heart, things that you're being told, accusations being made by them. You, internally, if we could look inside you, chaos. We've all experienced this. We've all experienced those moments. We're where, where in those, those crisis moments. where We're in the hospital. And I remember and I recall this and I apologize for the redundancy of it. Dwayne was there. My family was there. I remember being in that hospital room when my mom was dying. And we're all standing there around her and we're all still, but inside, that's how I felt. And I remember one of my siblings saying, Trent, would you pray? I don't know if you remember that, and I just prayed. And I prayed with a stillness, but inside me, Louise, I was violently in motion. And Moses says to them, now you've got to get this. He says to them, you need only to be still. In the Hebrew, the word still is karash. And you know what it means? It means to cease, to conceal. Listen, listen, listen to this. It means to be deaf. You know what he was saying? Shut out the noise, shut out the enemy. Still yourself internally. Close off the noise. And some of us, from time to time, we need to still ourselves. We need to shut off the enemy. We need to quit entertaining the thoughts that have been uh, introduced to us. Because you know what the enemy likes to do? He likes to introduce a thought to us until it becomes our own thought. You say, you go back into Genesis when he... Remember when he comes to Adam and Eve, remember when he starts to making the suggestions about what God would or surely God wouldn't, and, and surely you won't die? And before you know it, those thoughts that were introduced to them became their own thoughts, and they begin to repeat those thoughts. And if we're not careful, the thoughts of the enemy that are introduced to us become our thoughts. And the whole time the whole time God is saying, "Be still, the whole time God is saying. Be deaf to that. Karash. Jose, Karash. Be still, brother. Be still. Cut it out. Shut it off. Don't give ear to it. And Moses says to them, this is all you have to do. God is in combat mode. You just need a Karash but we all know how difficult that is, don't we? That sounds like a a minor effort, but it takes great spiritual discipline to crush, to be still, to turn a deaf ear to the enemy. Easier said than done. But we have to still ourselves from the enemy's accusations. And then after Moses says that, let me read this next verse. Which seems a little odd, but man, once we get into this, you're going to see what I'm, you're going to see what I'm seeing. And there may be things you see that you might want to share with me. And I'm open for that. Just don't get me after the service. I got all week. You know? Verse 15. Pull that up. There you go. Thank you, Clark. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Now this is odd at the very beginning when God says... Why are you crying out to me? What an odd response. I mean, at what point, what biblical, what theological, what doctrinal principle is, a, is in play here when God rebukes him for crying out to him? At what point in the scripture do we find God rebuking people for praying and crying out? I'll tell you when he rebukes us. When our cries drown out his response. Understand this principle. That praying consists of listening as well. There are times to listen and, I, and our input at that moment is not necessary. When you read the scripture, God's about to give them directions. He literally revealed, I just read it, right? He said, this is what I'm going to do. Moses, pipe down and listen. Have you ever had that intimate conversation with that dear friend that you haven't talked to in six years? And 30 minutes into the conversation, you still haven't mentioned a word and you understand the, why you didn't talk to him in the last six years. <laughs> you understand that the bridge to intimacy involves communication, listening, hearing, communicating. Sometimes our, our prayer life looks a whole lot like that right it looks a whole lot like that that in the midst of God responding we're crying out so much that we're not even giving God the opportunity to speak to us we're drowning out God so in the stillness you only need to be still and God says then why are you crying it's like a rebuke on what he had commanded those people why are you telling them to be still to be deaf you need to be deaf Why are you crying out? Listen to me. Shut out the noise. I'm responding. I'm responding. He says the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord while I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. The need for stillness is twofold it's to shut out the enemy, and it's to enable us to hear from God. Our minds get cluttered. Our spirits, our hearts get cluttered with the noise. And God is trying to speak on a frequency that we need to be fine-tuned into. And with all the noise, we'll never, there's always too much interference on that frequency when we're giving ear to the others. We need to be deaf to that stuff that we might tune in, you see? There are times in my life, and I say this, it's, it's not bragging because it's, those of you who know me know that's not the case. There are times in my life, Carrie will attest to this, that I will say I, I, need, to, I need to spend some time in prayer. Right? And you guys know what I'm talking about. husbands. you tell your wife that. Wife, you tell your husband that. There's times you just need to be alone in prayer. And the vast majority of the time, Mr. Janine, those times when I need to really shut down and be quiet and be deaf, there ain't a whole lot of talking going on with me, Aaron. I got this little bitty old study that might be 8 by 12, I don't know. And I'll go in that little room and I'll shut that door. Dead silence. And I just sit. And I'm listening for God. I've spoken enough. I've said enough. I've complained enough. I've bickered enough. I've pointed out enough. And in that moment, man, I just try to get really still. Son might come back here and say, what are you doing, Dad? I thought you were asleep back here. I didn't hear anything. I thought you were back here praying. I haven't heard anything. Yes, I'm back here praying. And this is part of it. This is part of it. When the scripture says, and I want to read this to y'all, First Thessalonians chapter 16, or uh, uh, verse 16 through 18, 1 Thessalonians, it says, it, is, it says, listen, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When it says pray continually, what do you think that means? What do you think that really means? When you consider James chapter 1 verse 19, God gives us a direction to what? Be slow to speak and quick to listen. I don't believe the scripture when it says to pray continually means to walk around speaking to God. Now there are times when that will take place, but to continually be talking to God doesn't allow for us at any moment to honor the Scripture in James about being slow to speak. The praying continually is a continual engagement in a conversation with God where your ears are involved in the conversation. That God would lead us into a place where we are better listeners, in tune, and he says to Moses, "Oh, steal, 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 this is what I'm going to do." And if Moses isn't stopping crying out, he never knows the revelation that God's about to give him. You and I, if we never still ourselves, if we think that prayer is about God hearing us and we kind of completely abandon the notion that He's speaking back to us, it's that idea that we go into a posture of prayer and we let all this out on God. God's about to respond and we say, Amen. No husband in here is having that conversation with his wife, no wife's having that conversation with her husband. You know why? That's not a conversation. We must listen. We must still ourselves. We must hear what God's saying. Man, do you know what I'm talking about? We have to do it, man. Then the scripture says this. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. <laughs> the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Listen to this. Coming between the armies of Egypt... And Israel. God wasn't only the leader. God was the protector in this dynamic. And you and I have no idea to what degree God has stood between us and the onslaught of the enemy. We so quickly point out the failures of God. Where was God in this? Where was God in that? Why did he deliver here? Because he didn't do it the way we wanted it done. And we point out the shortcomings of God. And there will come a moment in all of our lives where the revelation of God will be given to us with complete and utter understanding. And we will see for the first time how many times he stood between us and danger and harm and heartbreak and arrows And stones. And he had moved into a posture of protecting us. And I don't know what's happening in this moment in the eyes of the Hebrews. When they see the Egyptians coming and all of a sudden the pillar of fire, the Shekinah glory, the pillar of cloud, remove itself from the edge of the Red Sea, which was uh, in front of them, that's where they were at. And it rises above them to settle in a protective position behind them. That's an amazing thought, that they would see this transition of God when he takes and puts himself in a posture of combat. Something they had not seen on this level before and the scripture says throughout the night the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other listen to this so neither went near the other all night long (laughs) now this is what's funny we're, we're looking at the Hebrews. But man, there's another side of this coin. And it's these crazy cats in chariots. Right? Man, you just saw a pillar of cloud elevate over this body of people and a pillar of fire and reposition itself in opposition to you. This should be enough for you to say to yourself, I'm going to tap out. This is an arm bar. Rear naked choke." I'm going out. This is too much. But a person with a hard heart gets crazy. You know what I'm talking about? You get around people who are callous and bitter. Man, they're crazy. They do crazy things. I mean nutty things. They'll lash out at anger when it costs them their job. They'll lash out at anger when it costs them their family. They want to do what their hard heart wants them to do, and they don't consider the cost. They're crazy. And these Egyptians, I'm telling you, man, at some point you have to look at them and say, your hard heart has made you insane. Look what's happening. And you know what the jokers do? Still contend with God. That's not the place you want to be in, contending with God. he has no weight class. He'll contend with anyone at any time over any matter that impacts the kingdom. He's always at weight. Small enough, big enough. That's who God is. Then the scripture says this. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The command that God had given Moses was actually to raise your staff and stretch out your arm. Stretch out your hand. Now everything up to that moment energized the arm of Moses. The burning bush. The plagues of Egypt. The protection in Goshen for the children of Israel. And so when God said to him, lift up your staff and stretch out your arm, you can almost envision, I can flashbacks in his mind and in his spirit of all these moments that God did for Moses and you can see the strength in his arm rise can't you the faith of those experiences what God had brought him through what he had witnessed of the provision and the faithfulness of God just strengthens his arm. And each inch, each inch that that arm was moving upward was being energized by the previous experiences that he had had with the faithfulness of God to the extent that the staff is raised up and the arm is stretched forth. Jose, what God has done for you in the past, is going to energize you to be faithful when he has you do something in the future. And when he says to you, do what seems to be impossible, Greg, you look back on the other previous impossible endeavors and you find, as in the the, the Greek calls it energio, which is inertia or energy of the Spirit, you find that infusing you the previous victories and enabling you to go places you could have never gone and done had you not experienced the previous things. What are you having a hard time lifting? Have you forgotten? What is it in your life that's gotten so heavy that God has called you to? That the energy... Minergio of God isn't enough to get you there. What is it? What is it in your heart that's got you so vexed? Only you know that. I'm not a seer in the sense that I'm going to identify the issues of your heart. That's not what the scripture says. No man knows the heart. It's deceptive above all things. You don't even know your own heart half the time. You fall victim to your own heart's desires. But what is it? What is the fear component? What is it that God is saying, raise this up? And you're like, I can't. It's too heavy. So Moses raises the staff. He stretches it out. And God responds. Now, I would suggest that this is probably the case. Don't take me to task for it. But I think it would be consistent with the the principles and the character of God responding in faith. I don't know that the waters begin to part right here. I don't even think the waters begin to part right there. You know when I think the waters begin to part? When the staff was fully raised and his arm was fully outstretched. Because that's what God had told him to do. Now in that moment, as Moses does this, can you imagine the trembling in that water for the first time? Hey, listen, you guys know I'm a big Superman fan, right? You know, our son's name Clark. You guys know this. It's an old story, right? Yeah, we're goobers. My whole family's goobers, right? But I'll not debate you about Superman being the best because he's the best, and we'll just leave it at that, okay? Now, I've got the mic. You don't this morning, so just, you know. But there's a beautiful scene in the the movie Man of Steel and Henry Cavill is playing Superman, and, and he comes out for the very first time out of, uh, this ship, I suppose, that's going to play uh, the role of the Fortress of Solitude. But he comes out, and there's a silhouette of him. And he's built like a uh, like a, uh, uh, an Olympic athlete, much like myself, <laughs> you know. And, and, and he, you no, know, <laughs> joke. <laughs> and he walks out, and he's got that 28-inch waist and shoulders, this broad and that red cape is just... In the wind. It's a beautiful scene. He's the son of El. Remember? The last son of El. Now, listen, you want me to make a little biblical analogy here? The last son of the house of El? You know what? El in Hebrew, God. Oh, okay, two Jews wrote the story. Okay, move on. I digress. Superman comes out. First time he's in the suit, he looks up. then he looks down, and he squats down, and he puts his fist on the ground. And if you watch this, this is the first time that they had depicted it like this, then all of a sudden you begin to see the little rocks and the elements on the ground begin to stir. And the energy begins to build. And he's sitting the music starting to crescendo. I mean, you can feel it, man. I'm telling you, Dad, I'm in the living room about to fly. I'm like this. I'm like, oh. And he's in that moment. And you could feel it. And he shoots up. things, turn, And he explodes. And you see the rings of where he's uh, breaking the, uh, 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 the, the barrier, the sound barrier. And you poof, poof through the sky. It's incredible. But you see that moment when the energy is, Moses, the first bit of water. The people in the podcast are saying, Why is he so quiet? It starts to build. The water starts to separate. The wind is blowing. And the energy, the energy is flowing. Faith in what his father has said is God. And he stands there in that moment. And the waters divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a water of wall on their right and on their left. I want to give you a visual. Can I do this? Throw it up there, Clark. Let's just look at this. This right here is a Chimelong Ocean Kingdom in China. It's the largest aquarium in the world. It holds around 22, 24 million gallons of water. And it's about, that window right there is about 120 feet wide, about 30 feet tall. And it hails in comparison to what they witness. Now, I'm not going to debate the species or the line of species occupying the Red Sea and I know there's people who are going to debate from a theological perspective the sea of reeds and the notion that they had passed in a foot of water. That was what God had separated, which I don't think is consistent with the Scripture. When you look at Exodus 15, verse 5, it says, The deep waters had covered them. Yeah. But can you imagine? Pull it back up here, Clark. Let it roll. Can you imagine them walking down through there like that? This thing opening up. And this is what you're seeing. And this hails in comparison to what was really being experienced. You talking about that cat that took the first step on the first piece of dry ground. I don't know if the whole pathway had been dried simultaneously. I have a tendency to believe that only the ground that they tread on had been dried to the extent that they were treading on it. I believe the first step, it was dry. I believe the second step, it was dry. I believe the third step, it was dry. Some cat took the first step. Craig, I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy. Can you imagine Moses? Water starts parting. and some cats like, and everybody else is looking. He, oh no, I'm out. I'm gone. I want to be that guy. I want you to be that guy, Ryan. I want you to be that guy, Drew. I want you to be a Dwight. I want you to be that guy, Jeff and Brandon, Blair, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ben, Gabe, Jose. Reuben. Otis the cook. I want you to be that guy, brother. Great you, Jacob. Derek, I want you to be that guy. And the scripture says the Egyptians pursued them. This is the insanity. Yeah. They're still crazy. And all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea during the last watch of the night. And that would have been between 2 and 6 a.m. That's the last watch of the night. That's what that would have been. The Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud at the Egyptian army. He looked down above all the enemies. He's above all the opposition. The scripture says, The Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and the cloud and the Egyptian army threw it into confusion. I don't know how much effort was needed to do that because these cats are crazy. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. These cats in Chevrolet chariots. And every four person said, Amen. And this one is what And the Egyptians said, check this out. Let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against... Egypt. Now this is one of those Captain Obvious moments where you're like, no kidding. Can you imagine if you're the first guy who says that to the rest of the Egyptian army? Hey man, I think we might need to turn around. It ain't looking good. Yahweh God, Jehovah God, he's in full-blown combat mode. I think we might want to run. He turns around and he says that there, and everybody's already running. You can see that, right? Hey man, I think, where y'all going? That kind of thing. A Captain Obvious moment. That God isn't one to play with. Not this God. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. We're going to read this or close. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards you, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. Not one. What did God say to Moses? Every one of these Egyptians you see, not after today, <laughs> not after today. Some of you need to hear that as you're going through a difficult time in your life, a moment of crisis, a moment of challenge, that there will come a time when that opposition will close out. And God will say, after that day, no more. And some of you need to cling to that, press in towards that day, trust God for that day. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right hand, on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. That's how you get there. That's how you get there. That's how we got there. Now the proper response in our hearts to the work of God in our lives is to trust him. That was their response. But they're kind kind of like us. They trust him now. They trust Moses now, but it's tenuous. It's just for a time. But God is calling us to a deeper walk and a deeper understanding with a deeper revelation, with a deeper energio, a deeper power, a deeper influence in our life, that being Jesus and His Spirit. He's calling us to a deeper walk. And are the things in your life, God's activity in your life, bringing you to a place of a deeper trust in God? How are you responding to it? Some have lost jobs and God intervened and brought you out better than you've ever been. How are you responding to that? God rescued you out of divorce court. Created in your home a marriage that you had never experienced. A glorious marriage. How are you responding to that? God broke through and provided for you in manners that you thought you could never have, you could never experience anything like this, and then all of a sudden, there it is. How do you respond to that? Your daughter's home burns down, God intervenes. How do you respond to that? These are the questions that we all must ask because God is actively working in all of our lives. I'm honest, you're honest. And how do we respond? The only question I can answer this morning is how do I respond? How is Trent going to respond? And so that's the question that you and I, as individuals, answer as we stand on the other side of the Red Sea and we look back and we see all that God has done are we moving forward with a greater trust the activity of God has built that in us trusting more I hope it is and I hope it does stand with me this morning their heads bowed we're just going to pray for a moment we're going to pray we're going to be dismissed but I want you to consider what I've said today I want you to consider what God has done for you I want you to consider how is it that you respond how do you respond when God has gone into combat mode for you he has elevated himself above your enemies and he has produced in your life an outcome that is favorable and beneficial to you and to your family and to your future. Difficult as it may be, God has done this. And so here we stand in light of his activity with a decision that we must make. And the decision is, am I going to trust him more? Because that's what he's trying to do is bring us into the deep. A deep trusting man. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the testimony of your word. I thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Ronnie this morning and his spirit of gratitude and thankfulness, not for, not for what the, a group of people have done, but for what you have done through a group of people. So, Father, for every person here this morning who has heard what has been said, I pray that if it's just a bite of what has been mentioned, may they be fed on that. May they take that home, wrestle with that, absorb that, consume it, and let it settle in their spirit. I pray, Father, as we leave this place, that our ears would be open to you and our Mouths silent and our ears deaf to the enemy may we still ourselves to hear you speak to us I love my brothers and sisters your sons and your daughters I pray Lord that you would encourage them and strengthen them draw them close to you O oh God oh may their trust in you be ever increasing as you guide and direct their lives. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we ask these things. And the sons and the daughters of God said amen. 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 God bless you.